Um, now it's an honor to stand in front of you guys and, uh, and bring the word this morning. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Gary and uh, Pastor Levi and House on the Rock for letting us use uh, your house of worship. It's uh, such a blessing to be here. Man, this morning um, I haven't been uh, so challenged personally by a sermon um, in a while. And honestly, like a, a lot of me was not looking forward to having to share this with you guys this morning. Um, but God has just been like laying this on my heart so heavily. Um, but I just want to pray real quick before we get started and uh, just jump right into it. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence, God, that um, you don't have to come, God, but you do every time, God. And uh, we're just so grateful, God, that you're here, God. And uh, I pray that you would just begin to soften our hearts right now, God, to hear what you want to speak to us, God. I, I set myself aside totally, God, and um, pray I humble myself before you, God, and I just ask that you would help me to just say the right words, God, that um, people would hear your heart today, Jesus. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Um, to give you guys a title for my message, uh, so you can write it on your chapel notes, is Walking Humbly with Jesus. Walking Humbly with Jesus, and a lot of you guys are familiar, I'm sure, with the uh, verse in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and for our intents and purposes today, to walk humbly with your God. What's the best way to tell how humble someone is? This is a question for you guys. What is the best way to tell how humble someone is? Nobody? How they serve others? It's a good answer, but not what I'm looking for. Somebody's got to have it. Nope. It's when they tell you how humble they are. I'm just playing. That is not, um, that is not, <laughs> you know how humble somebody is. Every time I've, I've heard someone describe themselves as humble, it like makes my soul like cringe because it's like not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I remember one time when I was um, up in Albany Teen Challenge, I, I really, uh, I don't think it's like the same kind of situation, but uh, there was this staff member, I was on indefinite, I was on thin ice, you know what I mean? Knucklehead guy when I went through the program and um, I'm sitting there at the table and there was this guy, he was a younger staff member, like in his 20s, and uh, he was just laying it on me, man, and I don't even, like, know what I did. I guess was, he just had a bad day or something, you know, and he's just going in on me, and eventually I just look up at him, and I'm like, listen, dude, I'm trying to be humble over here, bro. <laughs> like, I had to let him know, you know what I mean, because, like, he just wouldn't stop, and, and everybody started laughing. They thought it was hilarious that I said that. Um, there's a guy that I still talk to him on, on Facebook every once in a while, and he always, listen, bro, I'm trying to be humble, you know? Because <laughs> it was just like this, like, such a genuine moment where, you know, me, you know, not really even knowing the Lord yet, um, just, like, trying to express, man, like, dude, can, give me a break here, you know? But, um, man, 
this idea of walking humbly with Jesus is, is tough to share with you guys because it's something that I am learning and I am struggling with and I am growing in to this day, right? But God has been impressing this word on my heart, even in my studies for school and, and dealing with me in this area, you know, and I'm, I really believe there's something uh, here for everyone in this room. Not that I'm, I'm trying to take shots at anybody in anybody's situation, um, you know, personally. I, I'm telling you genuinely from the bottom of my heart, this is something that God has been dealing me, on me with, and um, I believe he wants to just minister to our hearts. I want to read, uh, I'm going to read a bunch of verses, you know, if you can keep up, keep up. Um, Ephesians 4.2 is, uh, reads the following, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I've used this, uh, this verse a lot in, uh, when I've had the opportunity to share, but I really don't like that verse. You know, it's very convicting. Be completely humble and gentle and completely bearing with one another in love, like, I suck at that, you know? And this idea of, of humility is something that I think all of us, to some extent, struggle with, no matter how long you've been in the game, if you've been here a week, if you've been here 10 years, right? Um, so what I want to do this morning is just talk to you guys about humility, and it's the opposite virtue of humility, which is pride, and kind of use that to lay a, a foundation of context for the, the life application that I believe um, God wants to minister to us today, right? So in my study of, of just this idea of humility, right, I just have like a lot of thoughts. I'm just going to like list through them. You know, humility, Jesus, our, our example of humility, right, is literally... Um, Humility itself exemplified. I don't think I need to go into detail with anybody here to prove that. You know, the way that he spoke, the way that he taught others, the way that he referred to himself, the way that he considered himself least and nothing and not, the way that he would describe himself is just screams humility, right? And, um, you know, something else about humility is, is there's something to be said. That we, ought to, we need to humble ourselves before God right? You know, I believe that it's God's desire that we make ourselves nothing so he can be everything. As if we would even consider the thought of trying to stand before God and think we were something or somebody after he made us out of dust, right? Andrew Murray wrote a book called Humility, and uh, he shares that without humility, You'll never truly abide in God's presence and experience his favor. You know, God's strength is made perfect in what? In our weakness. And our weakness, our vulnerability, is made possible through humility. You can look up 2 Corinthians 12, 19, and 10, right? But... All of us as men have this thing that doesn't want to open ourselves up to be vulnerable and get hurt. But humility says the opposite. God wants us to depend on him in good, good times and in bad. But in order for dependence, we need humility. 
to say, I need you, God. I can't do it on my own. That, that stands in the face of pride to say that we need anything, right? We also have to humble ourselves before other people. We submit to one another, right, so that we can grow. Because God uses people. God uses people in our lives to teach us. God uses people to teach us what to do and to teach us what not to do sometimes, right? And um, God designed us to be in community with one another. We can see that in the way that God himself dwells in community within the Trinity, right, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They dwell together in perfect community, setting an example for us, right? Bill Hull, he wrote a book um, about discipleship, and this quote, man, is like, dude, I couldn't think of like a better quote for Teen Challenge. It says, submission provides the proof of humility. That's why character is built in community. Ephesians 4.14, you can look it up on your own time. It, says every, it lists through the different gifts that God gives us, but the, the idea is, is that all of these gifts come together, right, in community to be a blessing to one another, to build one another up. And discipleship, right, rests on this dynamic of submission. Without submission to God and submission to man, we won't grow. We need one another. We need to remain in humble submission to one another. We need to remain in accountability to one another because God uses people. That's what he's chosen to do. Um, God uses people to bless us, and when we don't submit to one another, we don't allow God to use people. We don't allow God to use people to encourage us. We don't allow God to use people to fellowship with us and minister Christ's love to us as God would have it, right? We can even see in the life of Paul that God gave Paul a thorn in his flesh to humble him. Paul learned not just to endure the thorn or to tolerate it, right, but to glory in his trial. That's humility. The Bible compares us to sheep. I can't think of a more humbling comparison than that. I mean, a sheep has got to be like the most soft and defenseless and useless animal that there is, you know, apart from a, a shepherd. But sheep by nature are humble. That's why Jesus called himself the Lamb of God. Our most important ministry is ministering to God, spending time in his presence, right? Reading his word and praying, but it, it takes humility to come to God in the morning and run to him and say, before I take care of my needs, I need you, God. And the more that you choose Jesus and choose humility, the more you see how proud you are and how desperately lost you are apart from God. And you long to just dwell in God's presence and spending time with God becomes a joy that you look forward to. As you become nothing, God becomes everything to you. Right? Next we have pride, the opposite of humility. Proverbs 11.2 says this of pride. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride, I'm sure we're all familiar with. 
It's been an issue since the Garden of Eden with Adam in the beginning when the serpent tempted him and said, Adam, you can be like God. You don't need to submit to God. You can be just like him, right? You can make the big boy decisions. We want to choose everything for ourselves. We dye our hair a different color. When it gets gray, we get, we get our teeth fixed up, right? We have doctors to alter our bodies because we don't like the way that we look. Because we have this idea that we're in control of our lives and we won't let anyone tell us otherwise. It's pride at the heart of that. Pride is the idea that we don't need God, we don't need God's strength, that we're good on our own and that we know better. We don't have to submit to anyone or anything. Now, I've said this to guys in counseling, and some of you might think it's shocking. As guys are telling me their plan to leave and go out and they got it all figured out, I said, listen, man, I think you can do that. You know, you can definitely get things done in your flesh, right? But the problem is, is you won't keep it. You can definitely accomplish things, right? But you won't get very far in your flesh. And it just breaks my heart, and I'm sure it breaks the heart of God to know that the God of the universe has made himself available to us, but we choose to just flesh it out because we're so proud. You know something else? False humility is pride. This is where people are going to start getting their feelings hurt. You know when you act miserable when you're suffering? You think Paul was like that with the thorn in his flesh? It's not real humility. Feel bad for me. Put the face on. I'm doing all right, brother. We get a little hangry, and our humility goes out the window. Every Wednesday before 12 p.m., you know, all the staff, something that happens. Um, it's a little scary. Here's another one. This is good. The guy that comes, he says, well, since I'm doing something wrong already anyways, I just wanted to do the right thing and come and say something to you. I want to be transparent. It's false humility. You know what another form of false humility is? When you're suffering, and because you don't want to seem weak, you don't let anybody know how you're really doing. And we just put the fake face on, and we pretend. I didn't expect a lot of amens after that one. Pride has us choose to suffer in silence. Sometimes we're ready to throw it all away over a bottom bunk. Oh, man, let me stop. I said I wasn't going to take shots at nobody. <laughs> Pride tells us that we can't do what God is telling us to do because we aren't good enough. That's me. God brought this word to me. Pride keeps us from being vulnerable. And when God wants to be made perfect in our weakness and bring healing to the innermost areas of our life, our pride tells us, no, you can't do that because you're going to get hurt. 
But sometimes there's got to be a little hurt to have healing happen. Pride doesn't let us make ourselves low. Pride doesn't let us accept correction and reproof. Humility. I would let you know that humility would remain low even when falsely accused. And the way that I know this is because when I look to the life of Jesus and I see the way he responded, even when he was falsely accused, pride didn't rise up in him. Luke 14, 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Who here can raise their hand and say that they live up to that? I was watching a, a sermon by Francis Chan when we were up at the house getting things ready. A couple of you guys were there. And, uh, you know, something that he said to me that just really stuck out to me is like, you know, here in this country, we have this thing that happens, right, where pastors run themselves ragged trying to come up with a sermon better than the last one and more captivating than the last one to just keep people's attention for a little bit longer so they don't lose them. And what happens is people become entertainment seekers, not God seekers. People in other countries, this is what Francis Chan said, that have never heard the gospel, they're sitting there and their jaw is almost hitting the floor when they're hearing about the things, God died for me? What? They're amazed and, and here in America we sit through service with our arms crossed and we can say, man, I wasn't a big fan of that service. We, we have the gospel, we're like so used to the gospel that it's like it means nothing to us. That word wasn't for me. You know, he didn't do a great job preaching. I don't like when he preaches. I like the other pastor better. I didn't like the songs they sang. And it's funny, right? Because worship and service is the only time in the world where it's like not about you but we have these thoughts, right? There's a story of uh, two older ladies, and one of them leans over to the other and says, gosh, I don't like the, the songs that they play today. And uh, the lady leans back and says back to her, well, good thing that the service isn't for you. <laughs> Where else in the world does that happen? where we get to this place where we're no longer amazed by God. It's sad. We end up with proud men, so consumed by their own plans, who don't have the power of God. And they're too proud to recognize their own pride. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in, the heart, in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, the, the thrust of this message, that we've gotten it out of the way, right, is, is to, I guess, just look at the scripture together and, and see, like, what does us living this thing out really look like, right? And we have this concept of discipleship. And I believe discipleship is what's missing 
in the lives of many Christians today because no one wants to humble themselves and answer Jesus' call. No one wants to submit to a pastor. The second they get uncomfortable, they're gone. They find another church. They find another program. You know, ancient Jewish culture relied heavily on the dynamic of submission and discipleship. Young men would apply to uh, enter a rabbi or a teacher's school. And if they had enough social status, they'd be accepted. And when they're accepted, they would start with a place all the way in the back of the room, and they weren't allowed to talk or say anything. Just listen and watch the rabbi, watch the master, and learn every facet of his life. Right? Just totally humble. They'd watch and learn how the teacher did everything, how he observed the Sabbath, how he prayed, how he fasted. And the opportunity to be taught like that was highly treasured. And people would do whatever it took, right? Because the other alternative, if you didn't get accepted into a school like that, was to be a farmer or a fisherman and, and work and labor with your hands. Young disciples would grow in stature and knowledge until they had grown to equal status with their teacher. And they'd often branch off at that point and start schools of their own and start recruiting disciples of their own, right? And, and then we have, in, in Christian culture, the additional dynamic of submission and humility in discipleship. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us to gather disciples to ourselves, but to lead disciples to follow him, right? We're totally not a part of the picture. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the, the Lord and the teacher of that relationship. And we have Jesus' call to discipleship. I have two passages of scripture out of Matthew I want to read to you guys. Uh, Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can everyone give? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here we see um, Jesus tell his disciples what it takes. This is what it's going to take for you guys to be my disciples. Deny yourself. Jesus tells his disciples to make their own personal will and plans nothing and to desire God's will for themselves. Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross, right? Jesus took up a literal cross, but he's speaking figuratively to his disciples here, right? To make their mission nothing but the mission of Christ. And then he tells them to follow me, follow Christ's example, of humility and sacrifice. The second passage, Matthew 28, starting in verse 17 to verse 20. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. So being a disciple doesn't just stop, right, with being disciples ourselves. We can see here that we are called to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, 
and teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. Right? Because Jesus isn't something that you just add onto your life. Jesus is someone that you get in exchange for your life. And the Bible says, unless a seed dies, in John 12, 24, unless the old life, the old man completely dies and ceases to exist, right? That new life won't spring forward. You can't be born again. Let's look back at this passage. What does Jesus say? Surely I will be with you, right? So we can infer infer that when, if we are keeping Jesus at the center of our ministry, if we are making disciples, if we are being disciples ourselves and baptizing and teaching that Jesus has given us this promise that we, he will be with us, right? But if we look around and we don't see the power of God, it would be justifiable to say, right, that we can rightfully assume that it's because Jesus isn't at the center. If we're not honoring what he commanded us to do, then we're not going to see the power of God in our ministry, in our personal lives. And why don't we see this? Why, why do we pick and choose which parts of the Bible to take literally? Nothing about the passages that I read to you guys suggests, you know, that it was a recommendation. Jesus is telling us what to do. But do we really see this commitment in our lives? in our decision-making. Jesus isn't calling us here to the American dream. I love the third phase, but it's not an excuse to take control back of your life and put Jesus on the back burner. There's a reason why Jesus says, narrow is the path of life and few will find it because men don't want to submit. What I don't get is how someone can have their life fall into pieces and need to come into a program, and in two weeks, they're ready to take control back of their life. You know, like, if we're looking at the options here, right, we have the God of the universe who is simultaneously working the good out of all of everybody in the whole world that loves him according to his will and purpose, and we have a guy who has proven he cannot even manage his own life, Right? And there's nothing you can say to this guy to change his mind. He's ready. He's got it covered. This time it's going to be different. Right? You know how much less stressful it is to just turn your life over to God? The pressure of all the decisions that we don't have to make is lifted off of us. I don't wake up every morning and, like, have a panic attack thinking about everything that I got to figure out and... I just trust God. Just trust God. God just says, obey me and stay in my presence. The presence of God should be everything to us as a disciple, right? How do we learn to be like our master to watch and see the way that he does everything if we never spend time with him? There's a song, and it's an old school song. Um, by Paul Wilbur, and it's called In Your Presence. It says, in your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence, O Lord my God, 
in your presence, that's where I belong. Seeking your face, touching your grace, in the cleft of the rock, in your presence, oh God. A beautiful song if you've never heard it. We have a hiding place. We have a strong tower. We have the cleft of the rock, a refuge from storms, right? And in any season, a place to run to in the presence of God. But where are the men who long to be in God's presence? Where are, as Jesus said it, not me, where are the real disciples? Worship team, or Greg, if you don't mind, coming up so we get ready to close. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. People will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That word, gather around in the Greek, is to heap to themselves in excess. We want people to affirm us. We want people to make us feel good. But the second somebody tries to call us out, we're ghosts. That doesn't line up with this Bible. And that's what we see today. In a lot of places, churches and and programs centered on people's needs, not on exalting Christ. Playing nice songs and right, creating a nice experience for people so people come back and stay. A nice encouraging word, positive, um, what's the word? Uh, Motivational speech, right? Never correcting people, never challenging people. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I believe, because I see it in my life, that there is a serious lack of the virtue of humility in the lives of many Christians today. And I want to get ready, um, as Greg gets ready to play that song again, um, to have a time here at the altar. And, you know, if you feel uh, led to respond, I want to invite you to come up and, and receive prayer and just come before God and ask him to give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Humble us, Lord. Spirit, come make us humble the words of the song. God wants nothing to live inside of you but Jesus. The other stuff is garbage anyways. And our humility and nothingness allows for God to be everything. So the altar is open. And if, you know, Everything I'm saying to you today is just totally foreign to you. And you've never tasted and seen the goodness of God, then you need to get up here. 